Thank you for supporting the Circe Podcast Network by listening, sharing, and giving feedback to our shows. As you may know, the Circe Institute is in the midst of our year-end fundraising campaign. Your support last year enabled us to add several key members to the Circe team. With your continued help, we are excited about what the future holds. In particular, donor support helps us provide free resources like these podcasts and the former journal. Please visit circeinstitute.org backslash donate to see more about all you make possible and to support us this year. Welcome to Overdue Classics, the podcast for all the books you've been meaning to read. I'm Brandon LeBlanc, and I'm joined again by Matthew Bianco and Andrea Lipinski. Andrea and Matt, how are you? Doing great. Glad to be here. A prayerful. Hmm. Comes from being uh, in, soaking in on the incarnation earlier in this week, Matt. Being prayerful. That's right. From the on the incarnation intensive. Yeah. So, uh, if you were with us last week, we were wrapping up Alcibiades one, and we we pulled a little bit of an uh, audible. Um, if you listen to the Quiddity podcast, you'll know that I, I often reference the spirit of inquiry, which I get from David Hicks and, and Norms and Nobility, and we kind of followed it uh, last week. Uh, Matt Matt proposed the idea is how do you know yourself? Really, the question of Alcibiades one, or is it more about what is the soul? And that led us to contemplate maybe talking about Alcibiades two, which which ostensibly talks about prayer, but we're going to get into whether that's really the, the main question of, of that dialogue as well. And we decided to go ahead and read it. It's, it's a relatively short one. We'll, we'll jump into that and um, do that before we have the Q and a. So we did. So thanks for kind of riding along with us and we hope you enjoyed uh, uh, reading the second dialogue and got a lot of it out, out of it as well. Andrew, you had kind of a, a fun experience uh, reading it aloud. You want to share a little bit about, about that? Yeah. So for my first time to read it, I actually read it out loud with a friend's son. He's 16 and he's never read Plato before. So I just said, hey, I'm going to read a story. You want to want to hear it? And so I start reading. He's like, oh, wait, what? What's happening here? Like, it, it's just two people talking back and forth. Oh, OK. And so then we keep going and he's jumping in answering Socrates's questions before Alcibiades can um, and we get to the end and he's thrilled and tells his dad all about it. Um, and so then, uh, that was, you know, last week or something. And then this week, last night, I start to read out loud to him, Lord of the Rings. And he stops me first page, Mrs. Pinky. I think I like Plato better. <laughs> <laughs> I like this kid. And, oh, Matt re- and Matt rejoiced and <laughs> thought there was hope for the world. Um, that's great. That's exciting. Um, we hope that people are having those experiences. If this is their first time with, with Plato, um, hope some of you have taken the opportunity to try and do the reading it out loud, um, and see how that helps a little bit and maybe share it with somebody else. So that's fun. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So did, did Alcubierre's two shed any light on Alcubierre's one for us? Um, did it help with know thyself or, or understanding what the soul is? I like the way you just asked that, Brandon. Did this help shed light on at the end of one? So at the end of one, we were wondering, is it really about knowing yourself? Is it about needing to know your soul? Well, we get to two. It's a, I think it's about, but I might change my mind as we converse. What does it mean to know? To be, to be wise or to be stupid is the words used here. Uh, ignorance is talked about. And so to be wise is to know what to say and what to do. To be stupid is to not know what to say or what to do. But what happens when you think you know what to say and what to do, but you really don't? 
I think that's where this falls and the need to know the soul. Hmm. And the need to have somebody else help me know it, which is where Socrates goes to Akabiades and says, now it's time. You're ready and I can help you. Yeah. You know, what's interesting about the dialogue for me is that it, I mean, it starts out, he's, it just, it starts out with Alcibiade saying he's going to pray. Mm-hmm. And then they start talking about prayer and the nature of prayer. And, and there's a point in the dialogue where it kind of feels like prayer is dangerous for them because their gods are capricious, capricious, mm-hmm. which then, you know, from a Christian perspective would be like, well, we don't have to worry about that because you know, God doesn't play games with us like that. But the idea of wisdom and when he, when Socrates switches the conversation to wisdom and stupidity, the, the thing that kind of stands out for me is, while it could be seen in the light of you need to make sure you're asking for the right thing because you don't want the gods to give you the wrong thing, it seems more like it's about you need to learn to ask for the right thing because you need to know what the right thing is. Mm-hmm. And that kind of reminds me of, you know, what does the Psalter say about something? Give me the desires of my heart or give, and the Lord will give you the desires of your heart or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember the verse now. And it's, it's like people use it all talk about it all the time. Yeah. Um, but the idea is that, I mean, the question, you know, when that, in that verse, when you're talking about that verse, what does that mean? Like God will give you whatever you want or God will give you the right wants. And I think that's kind of what Socrates seems to be getting at here. Like that going into prayer, it's, it it might be more important to correct the desires of your heart, to have, to want the right things and to pray for the right things. even though even though that might be connected a little bit to the capriciousness of the gods, it's just it's human, right? It's important. It's responsible human humanity to it's responsible for a human to be to know the good and to pursue the good and to want the good, not be confused by those things. I searched to find it, and it's Psalm thirty-seven four. I don't have it in KJV in front of me. I have another version. It's delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I also think back to that we become what we behold. Mm -hmm. And so I need to know, behold the good. I need to know that it's good. Mm -hmm. And continue to behold it. I like the, it reminds me of the Republic, but I saw a little bit of it here. The likening of a person to a city. Right, we can talk about one person and one person can represent an entire city and the health of one and the whole. Yeah. Yeah, it's good because in the in in light of in light of the first Alcibiades, you know, Alcibiades is Socrates stops him on his way to go to the assembly and to try to, mm-hmm. you know, talk himself into a position of leadership. And even here, his a lot of his examples have to do with governing the city mm-hmm. and the orators coming into the city and saying, yep, go to war, but not actually knowing whether the war is a good thing or how long it should last or, you know, those kinds of, he's a lot of those kinds of examples. And um, it, it, must, it must be then that in the Greek mind, 
or the Athenian mind, especially in Socrates' day, the the good was being conflated with power or or preeminence or something in the community because both of these two dialogues for Alcibiades is about that, right? But it, it but it's not just it it seems to be bigger and broader than just that's what's important to Alcibiades. Because it because Alcibiades is being framed right alongside of all the other Athenians and the orators and you know, the rhetoricians or whatever and mm. and on the, all of them seem to be doing that, right? Well I can give I'll be the one to give you advice, even though he that rhetorician or that person doesn't know and hear the good, right? In the first one, it's more about you don't even know yourself. How can you do all this? And in this one, it seems to be you don't even know the good. How would you even know what to ask for or what advice to give, right? Right. I mean, he goes through in uh, 141D, he starts, Socrates starts and gives three examples of people not, not knowing what the good is. Archelaus kills his friend to be king. And then he's killed very shortly to be, for that same kingdom. And then he goes on and talks about generals who had wished that they had stayed privates because of what they had asked for. And then he goes on and talks about people asking for children. And that brings a lot of heartache that they don't realize is coming. Um, so do they know what they're asking for? And Socrates not quite wraps it up, but at D he says, most people will not hesitate to take the opportunity and they will even pray for such things before they are on off before they are an offer. After a while, however, they change their tune and pray away their former prayers. Right, so we don't know, and that's where it goes back to that knowing ourselves, but knowing what good is. And it seems like it's not just good for me, but there's a universalness to good that we don't know. Um, and so then he, after he gives those three stories of people not knowing, he offers this prayer. Whether we pray or not, give us what is good for us. What is bad for us, give us not, however hard we pray for it. Yeah. Um, and then Alcibiades' response, like, one thing I do observe is that the cause of very many human evils is ignorance. No one, however, thinks thus about himself. Each of us thinks himself quite capable of praying, not for the worst, but for the best. For such a prayer would really seem to be more like a curse than a prayer. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, I think he goes to prayer as a, a as an intimate way to talk about all the things we want. Right. Like Alcibiades wants to be the leader of Athens. Right. You see, Matt, you see something. No, I'm just listening. Mm. So I I think that's a key to the knowing yourself is about knowing good. Do you think, do you think that that prayer is the, is the, is kind of the medium or the mechanism here for examining our, our, our wisdom or our stupidity with respect to the good? Because prayer is one of those places where we will actually say what we want. 
I would hope. Right. Like if I was talking to, I was talking to my wife or my children or a coworker or somebody, right. I'm a little, I might be a little bit more guarded mm. because I don't want to admit what my real desires are. Right. Um, so I might not tell you, Andrea, that whatever I'm, Oh, I'm going to win the lottery this weekend. You know, I'm hoping to win the lottery this weekend because I want millions of dollars. But, but I might be more than happy and more than willing to not tell you, but go into the store and buy that ticket and then pray to God that I win. Right. So then prayer seems to be this kind of thing where we're a little more willing to, Mm -hmm. to say what we think the good is in a conversation with the God the gods, um, or God in our case, but yeah. we're a little bit more willing to say that. I mean, I can also see situations where we guard ourselves even in prayer with God, but, uh, or we try to, we try to package it and present it as if it's, if it's a good, like we're kind of hiding the selfish side of it a little bit. But in Socrates case, at least that, that the Athenians and probably us to some extent are a little more willing to say things to God than we are to, each other because we're not sure how or or because we're sure how the other person would judge us for it but we think we can get it we can we can get it past god maybe mm-hmm. think god would judge us he would know what we really want he would know what we really meant that i would be good with the millions of dollars i'm not greedy i just i'm gonna use that millions of dollars you know to help people right it's too vulnerable to tell another person mm-hmm. it's too risky but a God, like my God, the, their gods, isn't going to argue with me in the same way, isn't going to shine light on me, isn't going to engage with me in a way to help me see something different in that moment, right? That's risky. And that's where I feel like Socrates had to come in at this moment in his life to say, it's time. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, I Maybe for, to go back to what you just said, it won't be as direct and immediate and as explicit, mm-hmm. right? Like, I mean, God probably is going to work me through with that and try to help me, you know, grow right. from my, from my, from my, my banal or my, my vulgar desires. But, but my friend or family member might do it immediately and then, you know, I'll feel bad, right? I won't like the, right. the shame or whatever of, being called out on, you know, such a stupid desire. So, yeah. So then the, then the, the prayer as a mechanism for the conversation then is a way like we could use this as a way of trying to ask, what do we, do we know what the good is? And if we do, then why are we asking for X or Y, or should we ask for X or Y? (laughs) It's interesting to the like because we think when we go to prayer that we've given it thought, I guess. But he talks about in here, in uh, starting in section one forty two, about we don't even have the wisdom to question something when it's just handed to us, right? Like if someone just comes up and offers us um, something that seems like a gift, right? And in, in his case, the power of of Athens or uh, to lead Athens, um, without thinking about what the cost of that might be and i think we see this i mean we look backward to see it maybe all the time but um people who have been offered a job and jumped at it and thought oh this is just without thinking about the ramifications of switching jobs or whatever it might be but we think we we know enough to like we we think we're wise enough to ask for the right things but are not even wise enough to 
weigh things that are offered to us very well when the way he talks about it in here, um, whether it's actually a good or not, we just, we just assume a gift is a good basically. Um, and without, without much thought. I mean, that's what Socrates says at uh, 144b. I mean that in general. It seems that if someone lacks knowledge of what is best, the possession of other skills might be other goods, right? Other could perceive will only rarely help. And in most cases will harm their possessor. Consider it this way. When you are about to say or do something, mustn't we first of all know, or at least believe we know what we are so keen to say and do. Right before that, he gives the extreme example. It's it's better off that we don't know a person so that we don't kill them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, we we these other skills that we rely on when we don't know lack. Yeah, that that idea too of of not it's not it's sometimes it's better to not know something. Mm-hmm. Because it, because knowledge or seeming knowledge of it may lead us to do something wicked, like kill somebody or whatever. In his example, mm-hmm. um, is interesting too. Going back to that prayer that he quotes, the the one that says, "King Zeus, whether we pray or not, give us what is good for us, what is bad for us. Give us not, however hard we pray for it." Mm-hmm. Which is interesting because he's saying, even if I don't pray for it, give me the good. But don't give me the bad, no matter how hard I pray for it, right? But the the so it's kind of a prayer for the good, regardless, and then a prayer for not getting the bad, no matter what. But what's interesting is there is is the prayer itself is a willingness to rest in ignorance. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know what's good, mm-hmm. so I'm going to trust you to. To decipher right. that for me, right? To, it's not. It's not even a like. Show me what's good, right? Like it's. <laughs> yeah. So I can discern it. It's yeah. just a. Just give me the good and keep the bad away from me. Because, <laughs> because not. I mean, at, to Socrates' point, knowledge is not automatically a good thing. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, to, with respect to the, to um. Well, I, I think I, what hmm, interesting. I think he means with respect to knowledge of the good. I can know all kinds of things, and those aren't good. That knowledge isn't necessarily good for me if I don't know what the good is. That's what he says right there, and one forty six D to E, right at, at E. He says, um, so you see, it seems that I was quite right when I said that it looked as if other skills, if not combined with the knowledge of what is best, are more often than not harmful to their possessors. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you have to know what is best, what is good. Al-Kabiyat, he says, but I may not have thought so then, but now I do. And that's where I said the soul and the state, right? So Socrates says, so if the life of the soul or a state is to go aright, this knowledge of what is best must be embraced with exactly that kind, the kind of trust a patient has in his doctor or a seafarer and his good ship's captain. For without this knowledge of what is best, the stronger the winds of fortune blow towards the acquisition of wealth or health and strength or anything else of that kind, all seemingly goods, the greater Mm -hmm. the errors to which these things will necessarily lead. Mm-hmm. And the last line in that yeah. section, he says he knew a lot of things, but he knew them all wrong. Yeah. Well, the the, the very immediate line after where you stopped reading, oh. uh, someone 
may have acquired so many skills as to deserve the name of polymath. Mm -hmm. But if he lets himself be led by one or other of these skills and lacks this true knowledge, the knowledge of the good, the best, he will, as he indeed deserves, run into very rough weather. So it's that it's interesting that knowledge itself is not a good yeah. unless it's accompanied by knowledge of the good, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it seems at some level that when you have the knowledge of what is best, that's the soul's helmsman. Mm. And then it, oh, right. Then it's his trust in the good, mm-hmm. in that knowledge of the best. The same way we trust a doctor or a captain on our ship, right? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So then that first prayer is basically saying, I don't know. Mm-hmm. So then he's trusting God to be the determiner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Socrates says at the end, I think, that that guy was wiser than they are. Socrates is, is in some way agreeable to that prayer. Yes. It, apparently, it's better to trust the gods than it is to trust yourself if you don't know the good. Is if you do the- know the good, then you're in cooperation with the gods, so it doesn't matter, I suppose. It's 148B at the end. Yeah. That poet I mentioned at the beginning of our discussion who told us to pray to be saved from the evils we pray for, he was wiser than us, wasn't he? And then he tips his hat to the, even to the Spartans who they only, they only ever prayed the one thing. They prayed to give them what is good and then what is noble. Mm-hmm. And then he gives it, it's like here, I feel like at the end he's giving story after story, the wise poet, the Spartans prayer. Then he gives another story about the Athenians and the Spartans uh, battle going to Ammon for guidance. Then he summarizes it at 149C. We should, I believe, be very careful and cautious when we consider what we should, what should be said and what should not. Then he gives another story about Homer. Then he summarizes it again, just above 150. It would be a strange and sorry thing if the gods took more account of our gifts and sacrifices than of our souls, whether there is holiness and justice to be found in them. Yes, that is what they care about. Um, Far more than possession, processions and sacrifices. And then I, I'm like, for me, I go to the that B. It says, gods and men of sound mind are more likely to hold justice and wisdom in a special honor. And none are wise and just, but those who know how to behave and speak to gods and men. Yeah, those last two you just read, the, the top of that paragraph and the bottom one you just read are both in blue in my, in my, in my copy. So it, it's it, back to Alcibiades one we said was about justice and what was the other word? Self-control. Mm-hmm. And now we're talking about wisdom mm-hmm. and justice. Mm-hmm. When in, in that line where he says, where Socrates says in 150C, mm-hmm. you see then how dangerous it is for you to go to pray to the God in case he hears you speaking amiss, reject your sacrifice altogether and perhaps add some further penalty. How do you read that? Is is this an example of the 
of him maybe saying suggesting that the gods are capricious and mm. like genie you know like genies will twist your wishes to uh in this in the stories right a genie will twist your wishes and give you exactly what you prayed for or what you'd wished for but not with not what you meant by it mm-hmm. is it is he saying that or is he saying something like the god's gonna add some sort of penalty to like chastise you, correct you for having bad desires. Like we would think of God, you know, chastising us to correct us, to better us, to help us to learn from our bad desires. Right. Not, not that he's giving us something to, um, to, to punish us, I guess per se, but more of to correct us. Um, well, and there's, there's, for us, there's that, that that notion. Other parts when we talk, you talked about the psalm earlier, but there's other parts of scripture that notion of being given over to your desires, right? And and typically that means you just you're well in this life you're you're in, at least enduring the natural consequences of those of those wrong desires, whatever the, whatever those might be. Um, but also maybe just given over to them, and then that's you get what you get the things you desire, but they're not ultimately the fulfillment you thought they were going to be. So is it? Maybe it's somewhere along those lines. Um, this whole this whole section, but through through one fifty and one fifty one, um, actually even going up to the bottom of one, or in in one forty nine, um, it just echoed so much. It, going back to the, like the Laconian utterance being this short and simple prayer that that just asks for the good, it acknowledges not 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 knowing. Um, even to uh, so it was no help to them to sacrifice an and offer vain gifts when they were out of favor with the gods. You know, we have again, time, uh, time in scripture where the, the offerings are not pleasing to the Lord. Uh, what he wants is uh, a contrite heart. Uh, this was just so, it was just fascinating to me how much this, this uh, echoes, especially parts of the old Testament. And then um, how much the, the prayers of the church is going from the, both from the, the Lord's prayer and then through just, so many of the liturgical prayers over the years are relatively short and, and don't um, boil down to asking for God's mercy, right? Because we don't, that's what we need. We don't even know what we need. We just need mercy. Um, so anyway, it was fascinating to me how, how, how similar uh, a note Socrates strikes here with, with Alcibiades um, that, I, that I think maybe he's, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe he's not, maybe he's, trying not to call the gods capricious, but acknowledging that they might be, but also just acknowledging that maybe it's just our foolhardiness that when we go before them, mm-hmm. um, that at best they're going to give us, give us what we're asking for. And it's not actually good for us. They might also throw some penalty in there for being, you know, foolish in their, in, in their presence. But, um, I think, I think he's got a fairly good, good view of, of, of the you know how you should go before the gods, considering he doesn't have any divine revelation. <laughs> yeah, you're thinking of like Psalm 51, where it says the God desires a contrite heart rather than sacrifices. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that that's kind of he, Socrates is kind of echoing that here, and with his example of the Spartans. Yeah, and then yeah, and then the simplicity of the prayers to, to ask for mercy here. Which is, which is to say, to put it in God's hands, you know it's good for me, so I'm praying for that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I trust you more than yeah. me. 
it's the, the hardest part I think is the, the, the application of action to actions in pursuit of the good. Like, I mean, what, you know, go back to your example, Brandon, the, you know, somebody taking a new job, like, sure. I know what the good is. I mean, to the extent that I know what the good is, broadly speaking as a idea, but then how do I know whether moving to this city or taking that job or Mm -hmm. abandoning my friends in North Carolina and returning to (laughs) family in Texas or whatever, you know, there's whatever the example is. Random, what, uh, random, random ideas. Yeah, you know, just whatever the first thing that popped in my head. Um, the uh, how do we know? Like, the, like moving to another city doesn't doesn't align with the good or the, not the good, not align with the good. Like, what, is, what does the city have to do with it? I mean, unless it's like Lot, where Abraham tells, or, you know, and then it tells us, you know, well, Lot went to this city because it looked, you know, enticing or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he should have stayed out in the farmlands with the herding lands with Abraham. But yeah, we usually don't, don't know, know until you, we usually don't know until you lose your firstborn back to North Carolina and he's no longer part of the household. Things, I mean, things like that happen to you. Right, right. And you know you made a mistake of some kind. Um, or there was a cost. There was, there was at, least, at least a cost you didn't calculate. Um, yeah, I think that's, there's probably some things we can do. To, I mean, well, probably is one just just seeking more counsel before making decisions, right? And he does kind of seem to point to that. He he, he has, he talks about, well, at the, toward the, at the end, Alcubierre um, gives him the garlands he was taking to the, to the, uh, yeah. to the temple um, and, and honors Socrates in that way. You know, so there's an acknowledgement there that maybe there's someone I should talk to in this case, even before he goes to make prayer or, or, or go to worship. Um, and that probably exists for us too, when it comes, you know, it, when it comes to having a, a right heart before the Lord, there's people we could talk to that are older and wiser within our church, whether it's a priest or a pastor or um, some other elder of the church. Uh, but then also, you know, what are the costs of, oh, it won't be that big a deal to move away from, from family to take this better job because we have, you know, Skype and airplanes and Zoom and, um, but then talking to people. Did you say those, a loom? Uh, Zoom, Zoom, mm-hmm. Zoom. Sorry. A Zoom. I said like, Skype wow. and I was, I'm not sure <laughs> Going old here. school, Brandon. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Smoke signals. Uh, is this where Alcibiades one comes in, though? Because look, get, get standing before the assembly and getting and and them and them listening to you and you giving them good advice—that's not not the good. Mm-hmm. If you have good advice, if you have the wisdom to give them sound advice and lead well, that's a good. That's the good, right? So in Alcibiades one, the problem was not. The, the problem was his desire to be in that position because he didn't have knowledge of himself and therefore knowledge of others and therefore knowledge of for the community. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so to some extent, the problem is if we, if we look at it from the perspective of the good and I can say like, look, all of our listeners, almost all of them are going to be in one of three are going to be dealing with one of three things. Right. They themselves face decisions like that. 
should I move to this city? Should I take this job? Uh, or whatever. Right. Um, or, uh, or they have children who are, should I go to this college or that college? Should I pursue this career field or that career field? Should I marry this person or that person? Um, unless they are themselves that young, then they might be having those particular questions. Right. And I said three things, but they're really just those two. Um, so we're either, we're either dealing with it ourselves or we're dealing with it with respect to our children. And, and the, the good <laughs> going to a college to get an education. I mean, you know, depending on, I, I, well, this is the, this is the part of the question, right? What is the depending on aspect of it? Um, gaining, gaining knowledge. Well, I don't see now. I don't even know what I'm talking about because I was going to say <laughs> gaining knowledge isn't bad, but Socrates just kind of convinced us that it is if it's not connected to wisdom of the good, right? Right. So, yeah, because I, I think I think to some extent it's going to be uh, we think we know what the good is, and we can justify taking this particular job or this particular going to this particular college or moving to this particular city because it's going to help us to do things that are good, right? Like get a better job to provide for my family. That's good. That's good that I'm going to be able to provide for my family. But what we don't get at is the underlying stuff of what are my actual motives here? Like, of course I can say it's about getting a better job to be able to pay for, to provide for my family. But what are my, what is, what are my innermost real desires behind it? And then, and then do I have the wisdom of the good to know? I think we, I think we, I think sometimes we can too easily kind of describe things as good without, without taking these other things into account that Socrates is pointing out in Alcibiades one and two. Okay. And at the same time, I feel like we're standing on um, a diving board right now. So when we end Alcibiades 1, um, Alcibiades says, yes, that's right. I'll start to cultivate justice in myself right now. Like, got it. Okay. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go do it. At the end of Alcibiades 2, he says, how long will it take? Which is right above. It, it takes time to learn how to behave towards gods and man, men. Yeah, yeah. So, I says, how long will it take, Socrates? And who will teach me? I very much would like to see the man who could do it. He can't do it in himself. Right. He went from I'll go get virtue for myself to I I need somebody to teach me. I need a mentor. And all along the way, when I said we're on a diving board now, it's because we have to make those decisions. We're making those decisions yeah. about our lives without knowing the good. Right. So what do we do? Mm -hmm. Stop making decisions. That's my advice. Right. <laughs> no, my, my oldest son is sitting in the middle of this one right now. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Finishing college, big decisions to make. Mm -hmm. Yep. And he said it. He's like, there's going to be two decisions that will impact everything from here on out. Most people make these decisions right now. What career am I going to start into? And who am I going to take along that journey with me as my wife? What? <laughs> 
it's kind of humorous when you, when you think about that life is ordered in such a way that we make the most important decisions when we're yes. the dumbest. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Frontal lobe is not even developed yet. Go. Yeah. <laughs> All right. You committed to these things. Now just have to figure them out. Good luck. And so that, yeah, right. Where, what is our faith? Is it something that we gain knowledge in our heads about, or is it something we work out in doing? Hmm. Because it takes time to learn how to behave towards gods and men. I mean, Alkibiati says, let him remove the fog or whatever else it is. I am prepared to do whatever he tells me. Do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Whoever he may be. Because apparently Alkibiati has not picked up on the fact that it's Socrates. <laughs> Socrates is talking about himself. <laughs> and like the very end of the, oh, oh, here's some garland. It must be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I I mean, I hope this is a sign of wisdom, but, but, and I know Matt, you and I have both had a little bit of this where we've, we've had, we've had lots of different, not even just jobs, careers, basically. <laughs> Over, I mean, we're 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 close to the same age, uh, you know, mid forties, and we've had career changes multiple times, um, and lots of moving. And I do feel like the older I the older I get, the more I'm drawn to just prayers like this one, where it's like I don't I don't know what to say. I'm just gonna this is this is what I need to say, and I'm just gonna keep saying this one because I don't know what's going on. Um, I don't know. Maybe maybe that's a part of that wisdom that that. Um, to just kind of, you, we don't have to improve on the Lord's prayer. We don't have to, <laughs> we, these are, the, the, it's, um, and it's, and it's asking for pretty, pretty simple stuff. So, and, and then I do think being, uh, you know, we talked about, I think we talked about it when we were talking about knowing yourself, at least we did in previous conversations that there's, it's not possible to do that in isolation. I can't, I can't know myself with I'm just stuck with myself because it's just all this navel gazing and, and isn't, I don't have any perspective. And so I, I do think, um, you know, there's something, whether it's a, a mentor specifically, or even community of, of faith, of education, of, um, these are the places where we get that mirror held up, I think. Um, and hopefully start to realize like Alcibiade seems to be at least in this, in this, uh, dialogue, that he knows even less than he thought he knew the last time they were talking. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I'm basically in that boat. It's easier for me to just pray for mercy than it is to get specific. Cause I don't, I don't know anything, but I remember when I was younger, you know, praying for, God to tell me exactly which city I should move to, exactly which church I should join, exactly. And they were, you know, my all of my choices were <laughs> the same church, right? Just done different street corners or whatever. But um, they, uh, you know, wanting like really specific instruction or God to answer prayers very specifically. Um, and now I'm just like, I don't, I don't even know what what I'm dealing with. Just give me mercy, man. I don't say, I don't call God, man. I'm just saying those. Yeah. Dude, dude. 
when when you were saying earlier about how, you know, with God, we're more vulnerable. And I was like, I, I wasn't comfortable there because I've actually, I'm on the other side to where I've had a hard time asking for anything specific of him. Um, Since I was little, like I've, I, I don't know. I'm more in the take care of me. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know where I'm going. I need help. I have posted here on my desk two prayers from St. Benedict's um, rule. Oh, God, come to my assistance. Oh, Lord, make haste to help me. So I pray that when I start my day at work. And I try to remember to close it with, Blessed are you, O Lord, my God, for you have helped me and strengthened me. And the prayer posted below the two of those for everywhere in between is, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner which I learned in the apprenticeship. I was not exposed to that until here. Um, And that's what I hold to. It's actually part of me growing up is trying to figure out what is it that I want to ask for things specific. Yeah. Well, it'll probably get harder, I think, because as you get older, you realize even more than what you knew. Even the more... You're, you're even more aware of your ignorance than you were when you were younger, so it becomes even harder. So if you never got to do it when you were younger, well, sorry, you're just not going to get to do it. <laughs> but maybe also you didn't pray for terrible things like that like night. I, yeah, right. I prayed for all kinds of right. stuff that would have been really bad for me. Uh, I, I mean, honestly, like I, can li- I literally remember one time, um, probably, let's see, this would have been in... Probably 13, 13 years ago. No, 16 years ago. How old were you? I was, um, I was getting <laughs> out. Of, I was, I had been in the air force. I was getting out of the air force after 10 years in the air force. And I was trying to d- decide whether to move to Ohio or Mississippi. Wow. And I had a friend in both States mm-hmm. and they were both, they're both trying to convince me to bring my family to that state. And then, you know, we would work together and, I remember praying one day because what would happen, what happened was the guy in Mississippi, I talked to this guy every day on the phone or like two or three times a week and often for two or more hours at a time. And we just talked a lot, but the guy in Ohio, I think I talked to that guy on the phone like twice, but I'd been to his house and I stayed with him and, you know, visit him. And uh, I mean, twice in that year that um, I was trying to consider. And, so I, I prayed one night that I didn't know where, you know, I was praying, asking God where I should move my family to. And then I said, you know what? How about this? Whoever calls me next, that's where I'm moving. Wow. And in my mind, there was no chance the guy from Ohio was going to call me because he never called me. But the guy from Mississippi called me, you know, all the time, a couple times a week. Right. Mm. And lo and behold, the guy from Ohio called me. And, and I know uh, the rest of the story. You know the rest of the story. I packed up my family and I moved to Ohio on a phone call. <laughs> wow. That was your, your uh, what is it called? Where you lay out a fleece. That was your fleece. Yeah, my fleece, right? My fleece was a phone call. Oh. So, yeah. And I see, mean, and I, I, I get it. And then I prayed about being able to get in and to afford like a couple of different colleges that I really thought I wanted to go off away far from home to. And I applied mm-hmm. to one school, in like one state school in state, only one. Mm. And then didn't either didn't get in or couldn't afford to go to the ones that were out, you know, the private ones out of state or whatever. And yeah. but one of those was Pepperdine University. Mm-hmm. If you, out, you know, you've been there's like just north of Malibu. 
um, mm-hmm. in California. And then I went there as this the briefing and debriefing for this mission trip one time. And mm-hmm. I was like, Oh yeah, I would have flunked out in the first semester. Like I never, ever would have gone to class if I had gone to school here because I can walk to the beach <laughs> and I can walk to the mountain. <laughs> and so it was like, Oh, that was probably, probably, uh, that was probably one of those ones where I was praying stupidly and I was, uh, shown mercy when I didn't even ask for it. So. <laughs> but I believe our friend, uh, Jessica Hooten Wilson is at Pepperdine now. Yeah. She's got a residency there. I think of some kind. Yeah. I mean, I don't, she has moved out there, but yeah, she's doing some stuff out there right now. It's an amazing place. I just would not, I just didn't have the self-discipline to, I probably still don't have the self-discipline to go to class if I was living out there. So. Well, that's Alcabatty's one. You need self-control. That's right. That's right. That's right. Alcabatty's two, you need a mentor who can see your soul. That to me is maybe the um, most disconcerting part of these two. Oh, I mean, all the dialogues really. And this is, you see going out to, on, on throughout the dialogues of Socrates, how much this is a need and how hard it is to come by. I think a lot of times, um, I mean, mentorship. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, I think I've talked to you about this a couple of times, Matt, like I went looking for it a lot starting in college to find older men, you know, church, wherever. And, um, man, it was few and far between when I found somebody and, and didn't, you know, often didn't last very long or whatever it might've been, or it, it was a bad person to choose, whatever, all those kind of things. And I think about, you know, okay, I have some responsibility now to start, to start being that for someone who's younger, although I don't feel equipped. Um, but I'm sure they would might, might feel like it'd be helpful to talk to someone, you know, 20 years down the road. Um, even if that person mostly just made mistakes and, um, but yeah, it's, it's tough to come by. And that, that's the scary part is that this is such a big need. Like, where do I, where do I go for that? And, um, I think it's, you know what I would keep- recommend hmm. to people listening that are in that boat where they need somebody to, um, be their mentor. Mm-hmm. Don't ask, mm-hmm. don't ask the person t- to be your mentor. Cause that's, I, I, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, Asking, asking makes it, a, it, it changes the, re- the nature of the, the relationship immediately mm-hmm. before it, the relationship's ready for it. Um, so don't ask. It makes it awkward for both parties, really. And also, it can become easily, very easily, it can become a way for the asker to put the burden on the other person to do all the work to make it happen. So depending on how lazy you are or whatever, right? It can become like, okay, we asked him to be my mentor. Let's so let's go ahead, mentor, ment. And you know, then nothing happens. And then it's like, well, that didn't work out. Mm. Um, I think if you want somebody to be your mentor, don't even tell them what you're doing. Just make them your mentor. Just start talking to them all the time. Just start asking to hear their story, ask for their advice, go to them with your questions. Listen to them talk about their life and the decisions that they've made and the mistakes they've made and the, and the good decisions they've made and all of that stuff. Right. And then they become your mentor organically rather than forcibly or whatever, you know, um, I've heard so many stories about people asking for somebody to be their mentor and being turned down Mm. or for it not working out. Um, I mean, I'm sure there are successes out there and, you know, thank, thanks be to God for that, for those folks and, and for those mentors. But for the most part, 
the, I've heard more fails, fails than I've heard successes. So just make the person your mentor. That's because, good too. Cause if you just start doing that to several people, you know, just gotta have one of them pan out, right. Just start asking people who are with more experience than you questions. Mm-hmm. See, see what shakes out. It's good. And if it's guy, guy, man, if I don't know about how it is for women, you'd have to speak to this Andrea, but if it's man to man, uh, you can't be too, don't be too vulnerable too quick or, or don't tell the person that you want to be able to be vulnerable with them. Uh, it just gets weird too fast. Just, just earn it. Earn it the hard way by being their friend and sweating beside them for a while, you know? Yeah. And then let it happen. Good. Yeah. Well, every girl is different in that regard, I would say. But this, everybody's capable of being vulnerable too quickly, too much mm-hmm. too soon, kind of a thing. I, you know, I've seen that amongst women. Um, but I've also seen women who are not capable. Hmm. That doesn't work either. Yeah. They want to stay on the surface and you can't get like, there's nothing, there's nothing there. So you go on. Yeah. So then what would you say, Matt? What is the question here? For two? Um, yeah. Well, one and two, right? Cause we read two to try to see what the question is for one. Well, I don't think it's what is prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, I think prayer is the mechanism for the question. Um, so it has something more to do with what is wisdom and ignorance. And and then, but wisdom is, gets pretty quickly, I think, accepted. An accepted definition of that is the good, knowledge of the good. But it's not what is the good, because we never actually talk about what the good is. We just mm-hmm. talk about what the good does mm-hmm. um, or what it's for kind of thing. So, um I don't know. It's some question that that, that is the answer to. So 145C, he says, and this is the person whom we shall call wise, a reliable counselor for himself and for the state. So it's back to the soul and state. Yeah. Um, but, right, so it's knowing what to say and what to do. That's wise still. And above that, it says, you know, that that comes from knowledge of what is best. Knowledge of utility, which I thought is an interesting word, right? That's not quite the same as we would use it now, but knowing what to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Back to doing. Yeah. Honestly, I think that the, the both dialogues are about knowing yourself. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's necessarily asking what is what it does it mean to know thyself. But right. both of but basically what you have is El Kibiades as a person who doesn't know himself. And is constantly going off and running off to do things in which not knowing himself is going to be problematic. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one, it's going to the assembly and two, it's going to the chapel or whatever, prayer, festive temple. prayer, temple. And, and, and they're both about helping him to see his ignorance about himself and about the good. Yeah. So it's more like, um, it's more like what is, hmm, I don't know how to ask the question, but it's more like, well, it's what is knowing thyself, but it's in this, in the sense of what is knowing my strengths and weaknesses. What do I know? And what do I not know? Acknowledging what I'm knowledgeable about and what I'm ignorant about. 
Socrates, and Kepiatis just keeps, seems, seems to just keep running into things, assuming he has knowledge that he doesn't have. Mm-hmm. Until so Socrates. Go, oh, sorry. Period. Until Socrates, period. Sorry. <laughs> uh, I was just like, I, this is the, so he says it, uh, to me, he says it himself, Socrates, in 146C at the very end. He says, so to repeat, most people have been mistaken about what is best because they have not used their intelligence, but put their trust in mere seeming. Mm. I feel like that's the summary of this one then, but I don't know the question mm. that gets to it. Right. Mm. And so he's helping us see that mistake, right? Mm. We, we don't actually know what is best and that's the mistake we make. And we put our trust on those other skills we have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or, what's, or what seems good versus what is good, right? Whether it's those skills or not. Yeah. Having, having this, having, being in, being in charge of Athens would be good. Well, if it costs you your family, if it costs, you know, is it good? Right, right. I mean, because he doesn't define what is seeming. He doesn't define, you know, in a way, it's just knowing what is good and doing it. Yeah. Well, this will all be fascinating in our next read because. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) When it comes to Oedipus, does he know himself? Does he know the good? Is he asking the right question? Is he praying the right prayers? (laughs) It it was nice that he, that Socrates brought up Oedipus for us in this, uh, in this dialogue. So kind of nice little transition there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you didn't catch last time, that's what we'll be reading, uh, going forward. Well, um, next week we'll have the Q and a session for these two dialogues. Uh, if you have a question, you can send it to podcasts at searcyinstitute.org. Pod, that's with an S podcast. Uh, and we'll, we'll try and cover those. And then, um, and then we'll get into the Oedipus cycle, I guess is what you would call it, the three plays. Um, we'll do one play per episode. So the first, uh, the first play will be Oedipus Rex. Um, and I think we discussed last time that maybe we didn't, but we'll, we'll be doing those kind of in, chronological order not in their um, not in their publication order if you're familiar with that Antigone actually came first but we'll do that one last so uh, two weeks from now we'll, we'll be reading uh, Oedipus Rex or discussing Oedipus Rex um, I think you mean Oedipus Tyrannus Rex Oedipus is Tyrannus. a word yes, Tyrannus it's my biggest pet my greatest pet peeve is when people use the Latin name of a great play Oedipus Tyrannus <laughs> That would be a really weird pet peeve. It would. <laughs> Oedipus the King. I can just call it. I can just say it in English. I can drop the O yeah, and spell it. Spell it the anglicized version too. E P I D U S. Right. Okay. Go away. <laughs> <laughs> or is or is it Oedipus the Tyrant? That's the million. Is, is Rex even the right translation in Latin? Or did somebody mess that up from the beginning? Um, stuff we can talk about. Uh, and so we'll read the Oedipus Tyrannus and then it's Oedipus at Colonus and then Antigone. So three weeks, three plays, although I think we'll have Christmas in, in the middle in there somewhere. So, Oh, we don't do, we don't record on Christmas. Yeah, probably not. Probably, not. probably take a week off there. I was um, going to step away from the, uh, opening presents to record with you guys, but if you guys yeah. don't want to, that's fine. I'm I was going to open while we so you get all that crackling paper on the mic. And, <laughs> right. that's fun. I could show y'all and no one else could see what I was showing you, what I got for Christmas. So be fun. this Christmas is pretty special. It lands on Sunday. I know. It's nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's pretty exciting. Mm-hmm. Well, any, any final thoughts, either of you on, on Akibiati's one or two before we, Say goodbye to our friends. Mm. Careful what you pray for. <laughs> yeah. mm. Very true.
Thanks for indulging us, Brandon. Yeah, this was fun. I'm glad we I'm glad we went ahead and, and did another one. So, you know, I can't promise how often that will happen on on the show, but you know, we do follow that spirit of inquiry, and we can we can do that if we want. So, um, well, thank you all for joining us, uh, Matt, Andrea. Thank you again, and we will see you guys next week on another episode of Overdue Classics. 